Before we launch into this episode, we would like to remind listeners that the intent of the Work Revolution podcast is to understand and explore all kinds of issues that impact work and the workplace. In this episode, Lisa and I discuss one particular individual in the news recently whose behavior has been described by several women as abusive and who has been charged by the police for assault, a charge this individual has pleaded not guilty to and that has yet to be proven in a court of law. Everything we discuss in this episode, we learned from an article published in the New York Times on August 18th, 2022. The views, information, or opinions expressed during this episode are ours alone as we seek to more broadly share what we learned and express our feelings about this newsworthy individual and the story published in the Times. Further, all information in this podcast is provided as is, with no guarantees of completeness, accuracy, or timeliness. We encourage you to read the article and form your own opinion. The link is provided in the show notes. We have used our best judgment in this discussion based on the facts we have and no malice is intended. Finally, please note, we discuss spousal and sexual abuse in this episode, which some listeners may find distressing. Welcome to the Work Revolution podcast, where we believe, in fact, we know, there's a better way to work and live. And we are here to challenge the status quo of obsolete workplace practices and ideas about leadership. I'm Lisa. And I'm Deborah. Along with you, our listeners, we're evolving our thinking about what it means to belong, innovate, and create change at work. Join us as we dispel the myths of meritocracy, hierarchy, and other bullshit practices that get in the way of all of us harnessing our full potential to make a better world. So welcome to our listeners. It's Lisa here with Deborah. And Deborah and I were talking and we realized we hadn't done an Ask Us Anything for you for a while. And we actually been asking each other a pretty big question And so this episode is Deborah and I having a conversation we've agreed not to have until we started recording it because we didn't want to know what the other one thought or how each of us would answer it. So what we're going to be talking about in today's episode is an article that appeared in the New York Times on the 18th of August about the entrepreneur Dan Price. Now, some of you may remember or know who this man is. He's 37 years old. He runs an organization called Gravity Payments. And a few years back, around 2015, he realized that he was making so much more money than other people in his organization, his employees, that he decided that everybody, after reading some research on what kind of salary it would take to be happy at work, decided to pay every single one of his employees 70000 US. And he, in fact, took a massive 90% pay cut in order to make this happen. He was lauded everywhere for being this incredible CEO with tons of foresight about what it took for employees to be happy at work. And much of what he did was to post what he was doing on social media, but also he would really tout these progressive workplace practices and would admonish the greed or the poor treatment or outdated workplace practices. And he was very critical of typical capitalist CEO behavior. 
This article in the Times on August the 18th tells a different story of Dan Price. And so, Deborah, why don't you tell us a little bit about what we learned in this article and what your reaction was? Thank you for that very thoughtful and, and, and well, that was an amazing introduction to this. Just to clarify, so the $70,000 was what he considered a living wage. It was like having a floor or a minimum salary which I think was a really interesting concept. And it really reduced the gap between the minimum wage earner and the organization was earning and what the CEO was earning, which I think obviously that really struck a chord and it struck a chord with me. And he was quite a presence on social media. And I often would see mostly on LinkedIn, I followed him and I would often like comment or share. I think I probably shared some of his stuff as well. So you sent me the New York Times article. And interestingly, I would recognize a picture of Dan Price, but for whatever reason, that picture at first, I started looking at this and I started to get this sinking feeling. I'm like, who are they talking about? You had to get down a little bit before it was obvious. And I just got this like, oh God, really? Are you kidding me? Reaction. Well, he has charges against him of rape. There are two women in particular who have press charges as is the case often in these situations, there's always a lot more people out there. So I think the article said that there were actually two dozen women who had come forward. And his ex-wife also has accused him of some pretty horrendous acts of domestic violence, including being waterboarded. When I read that, I just about vomited. (laughs) So my reaction to this was partly feeling a sense of being duped, resentment in a way, because here's someone who I thought was a real thought leader and someone who I thought, to your point, had a really progressive approach to leadership that is really important to you and I. The work that you and I do is around, yeah, we want to see more progressive leadership. Leadership really matters. The kinds of people who we put on that pedestal, so to speak, and I try not to put anybody on too much of a pedestal, and now I'm learning why. (laughs) But it really matters. The character of people really matters. And so to learn this about this individual was just so disheartening. That's the one part. But then another part of me was like, well, wait a minute, Deb, like, who cares how you feel? It's not about you. Thinking about these women and the employees, because a number of employees came forward to talk also about, well, what's really happening behind the scenes? Because there's a significant degree of manipulation happening here. And you have to wonder, is any of this really who this guy is? And was it all a manipulation in a way to feed his own ego, to gain popularity? And he used that stage, quite frankly, to target women, to target, I hesitate to use the word victims, but he was victimizing people. I'm not a mental health professional, but this has got to be some sort of sociopathic type of behavior is what comes to mind for me. That's my diagnosis anyway. What about you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this is kind of similar to you, sort of a classic me scrolling through the New York Times, half not wanting to hear how terrible the world is and half wanting to read stories of people who are truly making a difference or even just read a recipe that I might feel like making that day. And to see this headline, similar reaction to you, I think that the thing that popped into my mind, I rarely reshare, retweet. 
other things. And I'm very cautious about what I like in social media. And occasionally I will like something and then I'll go read everyone's comments and I'll rethink it and I'll unlike it because I haven't thought through. I've just had an instantaneous response. But the line that came to my head to borrow from the buyer beware is like the retweeter beware, because I put myself in this camp like I'm so starved for leaders and organizations to be role models for the kinds of behavior that you and I and numerous coaches and consultants and people who work on organizational culture, we are looking for and really want to hear from and want to promote progressive ideas from actual leaders and not necessarily from the big box consultants and all of that. So when we find someone who is aligned with the core beliefs that we have about the workplace, it's nourishing. And similar to you, when I read this article about basically, I mean, this goes beyond sexism. I mean, the man's portraying himself as a feminist. And then when you read what's sort of behind the curtain, which is someone who is I mean, the words almost fail me. His behavior is so egregious and abusive that it started to make me wonder about this idea that we have about other parts of life, where, for instance, if somebody's an amazing actor or novelist, if in their personal life they do things we don't agree with, can we still believe in some of the things that they believed in? I think what really got me with this is, A, no, because there's nothing to excuse this kind of abusive and misogynist and illegal behavior. But the other is, these aren't even his tweets. So he has a ghostwriter creating Mm. these succinct ways of saying things that are sounding like, yeah, this man is taking on capitalism and he's taking on these jerk CEOs who are forcing people back to the office, even though they've been productive working from home during the pandemic. These aren't even his words. Like there's other deception here that he's basically in this quest to be famous or to fill a void in him about his own importance. Like the level of fakeness. I mean, even if he hadn't been this jerk abusing women, there's still this whole fakeness around how he's leveraged social media. And when you read the article, I think the thing that astounded me in part was some stuff came out in 2015 and he was silent for a while on social media and then he built it back up and there were more and then something else happened and he was accused of something and he was silent for a while and then he built it up again. Mm -hmm. And so the deception, I think, is equally, I mean, as upset and angry as I am about the story and the allegations that he, of course, vehemently disagrees with. This just really upsets me from the point of view is like, wow, like here's somebody that we thought was saying something really important that we were hanging a bit of our coats on or hanging our hats on. And yet again, it's somebody who wants to be the shiny object and let us all down profoundly. Yeah, he really was successful at developing a certain persona via social media, to your point. And yeah, it's not real. Like you use the term, what's behind the curtain? And so just craving that authenticity, just something real. I'm deeply, deeply curious now to really unpack what's this guy all about? Like, I'm curious, like, well, about his childhood, his upbringing, like something went wrong somewhere along the line, I think. I don't think people are born bad. So I think we have to engage in, I'm going to use the term mental contrasting. Like two things can be true at the same time. Like somebody can be, 
you brought up musicians and things like that. Like somebody can, or authors, somebody can be a great writer, or a great musician, and also engage in some really inexcusable behavior. And so we have to find a way to hold these both. Two things can be true. Now, is that the case for Dan Price? Was he an amazing leader and CEO? Was he progressive? Was he a progressive thought leader? And also someone who is an abuser and a sexual predator. But in this case, I don't know that both of those things are true. I suspect, actually, no, they're not true. This is about ego, manipulation. This is about successfully building a persona to show the world, this is what I want them to see. Let's also remember, it takes an it takes an incredible amount of intelligence to do this. So the two things that I can say are probably very true of him is he's a highly intelligent person. That's not an excuse. We can't say, well, this person's really bright and they're smart, and therefore we're going to excuse behaviors that are just, they're damaging. And the ripple effect of this, the ripple effect for the people all along the way who, he was a bully. He was also a bully in the workplace. And so imagine all the people, if anybody's ever been in a situation where they felt bullied or abused, you know the ripple effect of that. It comes out in every aspect of your life. It affects all your relationships. So the ripple effect that Dan Price has had is him as the bully and the sexual predator. And everything else that he may have been about or achieved, although those ideas are, I think, ideas that are worthy, it's just, we can't, the other side of it is what is, unfortunately, it has to take precedent. To me, there's something remarkable in all of this, of the sort of what I would call compartmentalizing. Because even after this article came out in the New York Times, Dan Price was still posting. And he has a post of himself in some beautiful, there's a sunrise or a sunset, it's a beach. And he's writing here on LinkedIn, everyone should get enough time off that they can have days to decompress and do what they want with minimum obligation. Those days make people more productive in the long run anyway. So the story has come out Maybe some people, clearly some of them haven't read it, but people are responding in the hundreds of comments below that they want to come work for him. So you can see how compelling his message is. And to me, I think the interesting and maybe more positive thing about this, if we can just set Dan Price, the person aside, is people are craving bosses who they believe are authentic and who are willing to create workplaces where people can thrive Mm-hmm. People are seeking this. So, I mean, we have evidence that people want this. Sadly, Dan Price is not one of those leaders that anybody should in their right mind be sending a resume to right now. And by the way, he did step down from his company. I believe his chief operating officer has taken over and the story remains to unfold itself. One thing you did mention his ex-wife, and I thought this was also an interesting piece that was revealed in the article, was she had done a TED talk detailing the kind of physical spousal abuse that she was a victim to at his hands and was how her surviving this relationship. And after she did the talk, either him or someone on his team had sent a message to the organizers of the TED Talk to not put her talk online. So it never was beyond the audience she spoke to. It never got further because there was questions about the legality of her talking about her own personal experience. And what this reminds me of, to take a little step outside of the Dan Price conversation, 
is how often bad behavior on behalf of men, abuse, we've seen this with Hockey Canada, we've seen this with who knows how many other, Stormy Daniels and Donald Trump. Let's throw money at the woman who was raped, who was abused, who was beaten, and let's put a gag on her so she can't even tell her story, even though this really happened. And that, to me, is another distressing aspect of when women come forward with allegations, regardless of who the man is, how famous, what he's done for a living, how beautiful his tweets are Mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. How beautiful his face and hair are. Exactly. I mean, quite frankly, the guy's like, he's the whole package, right? He's good looking. He's young. He's got that sort of all American look in a way, but in a totally hipster kind of a way, right? You mentioned compartmentalizing. I have a tweet that I do want to read. And I also want to come back to this idea of women telling that story and being potentially silenced. And I'll unpack this kind of one thing at a time because my head's going in a couple directions. So I have not learned my lesson. So I've been tweeting about <laughs> this. I'm experimenting on Twitter, but I'm authentic, right? I'm just absolutely all out there. My 100% totally on my sleeve. So I think this started with the New York Times obviously tweeted the article. And like you, I was interested to see these comments. And I did respond to one of them. I'll just read this out because I think this is really interesting to your point about people still saying, hey, I'll come work for you. This is a response that I got. And it says, but he's a leftist. So if you, all caps, cared about democracy at all, you'd be looking the other way like the rest of us. If he was a Republican, then I would agree, send him to the gallows. But he's not. He's one of us. Democracy is more important than anything right now. Well, first of all, like we're in Canada. Sorry, so I'm restraining myself from laughing. <laughs> Okay, let me just get this haha out. Okay. I know, I get it. I get it. Like, it took me a while to digest this too. And part of me is like, this is one person on Twitter who gives a rat's ass what somebody has to say. So I'm not going to let myself get too wound up about it. But what this does sort of illustrate is this idea of are we willing to tolerate certain behaviors and just the extent of the political division right now happening in the United States to see it in this black and white sort of a context, I think is really interesting. It made me feel very fortunate, as I often do, to be in Canada right now. Now, the other thing is, if I give someone the benefit of the doubt, I think if you just read headlines, it's easier to compartmentalize because a lot of the headlines were he's been accused of, okay, well, what does that really mean, right? Give people the benefit of the doubt. But if you go digging a little deeper, it's a bit of a stretch for me to think that someone could go a little deeper on this and come up with that sort of a comment. What's that got you thinking? Well, first of all, why does everything have to be drawn into this divisive, you're with us or you're against us? Like, I really resist these binary ways of looking at the world. Yes, some things definitely are black and white. You can be pregnant or not. You can be dead or alive. Yes, there are some things. But to think that absolutely you're either on the left or you're on the right, you're either a woke, lefty, radical, or you're... uh, corrupt Republican capitalists, like way more of us live in the middle ground. And I'm grateful that I can count pretty much everyone in my community as having the intelligence to be able to, regardless of whether they lean politically more towards conservatism or towards liberalism, that people are able to talk about these things. This kind of comment, getting a tweet like this, 
I'm a bit guilty of this. I don't actually respond to people's tweets, but I do get enraged when I read them and I do make the time to read them. So I'm kind of, here I am, pot, kettle, black. But what I find interesting about this one reaction is that with social media, anybody can go and read what you think, what this person thinks. And it just creates, to me, these bottomless, unresolvable divisions that make it impossible for us to find ways to talk. I mean, I was preparing slides for a presentation and I wanted to talk about differences. So I wanted a slide of an apple and an orange because people say you can't compare apples and oranges. And I found this image that was really cute and it was a cartoon of an apple and an orange holding hands. And to me, that just kind of says like, we can be different and we can be civil. And to make everything about divisiveness, I find is just not helpful. It's not a world I want to live in. And you and I need to self-protect against people who will make everything into an issue or into a personal attack. As you were talking, actually, this is what popped into my hand. You know, that stupid joke about how many blah, blah, blahs does it take to screw in a light bulb? And for me, it's like, well, how many accusers does a man need to have before we finally believe that women are telling, you know, like, okay, so one, it's some wing nut, two, it's, you know, like all these ways women's stories are dismissed. Again, like in this day and age, people are still about what was she wearing and what had, should she have a drink? I mean, look at this Norwegian prime minister who undergoes a drug test because clearly one cannot dance if one is under the no influence of drugs. Like these double standards about men's and women's behavior, I think is also for me part of this conversation. One last thing I'll just say about this. I feel angry. I feel really angry about this. And I'm reading this book, Julia Cameron. She wrote The Artist's Way, which many people have used to sort of unblock as a creative. And one of her other books is Walking in the World. And there's an exercise I was doing yesterday on anger, like list 50 things that make you angry. I got to 25 and I thought there are probably more, but I'd have to think about them. 10 of them were about, I made a list here, bias, discriminatory practices, misogyny, lack of compassion and respect for women, harassment, sexism. Like I am angry about these things. And the point that Julia Cameron makes is anger is a fuel. And so I don't want to be despondent that we're in a world where the Dan Prices need X number of accusers before somebody believes them or the Bill Cosbys or the whomevers. I want to be adding my voice to the fact that we as a society, men and women together, have not created the optimal conditions for everybody to thrive. Everyone is suffering under patriarchy. Everyone is suffering under misogyny. And you and I are part of what's making this change, because if it doesn't change in the workplace, it's not going to change beyond that, I don't think. Just my two cents. On yeah, 100%. What this tweet highlighted for me and the way that I came at it is the idea of how much are we willing to tolerate? And I'm just going to lump this into a very broad category of bullying behavior, disrespectful bullying behavior. And... How much are we willing to tolerate bullies and elevate them to positions of power and influence where it becomes more and more difficult for someone to now step up? Because what you said earlier sort of illustrated the point that once someone is in a position, like he used that social media platform in this case, to have a lot of power and influence. And so when his ex-wife wanted to speak out, he was able to use that power and influence, in this case, to silence her in the case of the TED Talk. 
And the more that we allow bullies, we turn the other cheek or we are not willing to stand up or we don't have systems and structures in place to hold people accountable for their behavior and their choices. And the more that those people rise through the ranks of an organization or whatever it is in our society that gives them power and influence, the harder and harder it becomes. And the more than we see people having to kind of turn themselves into pretzels because they are fearful. They don't want to speak up. And so part of it for me was this idea that we have to really come to a place where as individuals, we are comfortable enough to have a boundary and to be able to speak up and to call out bullying behaviors, understanding that there is a time and a place and that we have to be cognizant of the personal risk involved in that. And then beyond that, we need strong systems and structures in place. And that's where the legal system and things like that, which by the way, the legal system, you know, policing, again, very male dominated. The difficulty it takes for a, a woman to come forward with a story like that. And I am so happy and proud of these women because I think if we went back in time a little bit, I don't know that this story would have broke in the way that it did. And one of the things that was interesting to me about it is, and maybe you'll be able to color this a little bit because I might miss some stuff, but there was a blogger and he shared originally some of these stories because he was on to Dan Price. He thought this guy's a scam so or a sham or whatever the right word is. And so he anonymously shared some of these stories. And then what he was able to do as he became aware of things is he was able to introduce these women to one another. Because when somebody experiences something like this, there's such a feeling of isolation. Like you don't know that there's other people out there. You might suspect it, but these are patterns of behavior. And when a pattern of behavior is established, if that person continues to get away with it, why wouldn't they continue? And we can see there's all kinds of examples in our culture right now of men in particular who have been in significant positions of power and influence and have been able to skyrocket in their career on a foundation of bullying and abusive behavior, and nobody has hold to hold them accountable. And they get to a point where it's almost like everybody's scared around them to hold them accountable. And so that isolation and the fact that in this case, those women were able to find each other, that gave them power. That gave them the sense that, hey, it's not just me. And I think it's a bit of fuel to say, okay, I'm willing now to take that huge risk to go public it feels like a bit of a David and Goliath kind of a situation that you're up against. And we're asking women to be so brave, to be so vulnerable, to take such risk. And really the only thing that changes this, yes, there might be something through the courts, but quite frankly, it usually ends up like you pointed out before in some sort of gag order. Exactly. And so I don't think we have any understanding of how frequent and prevalent this kind of behavior is in organizations or just in general, more broadly. And I would love to see data on that and I'm going to look for it. But quite frankly, I don't think there is a lot of data on it because women either don't come forward or when they do, they're silenced in some way. Yeah. And what you're reminding me of is articles. We see them all the time. In fact, I think there was another one this week about George Foreman. He was a boxer that he had sexually assaulted women many years ago. And people are like, well, why are women coming forward now? Like, 
Why didn't they say something back then? Well, you just have to look at how women have always been treated in legal cases around rape and sexual assault, in which they are diminished, mocked, harassed while they're on the stand. I mean, in Canada here, we had the story of Gian Gomeshi, in which women had to talk about their own behavior. And part of the problem here, and this shows up in the Dan Price story, is that some of the allegations get thrown out because, for instance, there might be some evidence early on before the assault happened of some flirting between the two parties, which then is like, well, she must have basically been waiting to be assaulted, given that she expressed some romantic or sexual interest in the other person. This is problematic. The second thing is, to your point, how we allow this. I think part of, and this is a line I've used throughout my whole career, what you permit, you promote. And what I mean by that is as soon as you start allowing charisma, personality, all of that to, oh, boys will be boys, there's a bit of a snowballing in all of this, right? Where then like, I mean, just look at what happened in the presidency of the United States with the former president. So we're all upset about just grab her by the P word. I don't like using that word because it makes me uh, (laughs) uncomfortable. And so, oh, we accept that. Then what's the next thing we're going to accept? Like you get worn down and I guess the bar just keeps getting lowered and lowered. I do want to come back to what you said about this blogger. So his name is Doug Forbes, and he'd been blogging about Mr. Price for years. Originally, he actually was impressed by the guy. He wanted to make a documentary, a positive look at what this guy's doing. But he started to discover all the stories that have come out more recently. And you're right. He was the connection between Price's ex-wife and the woman who came forward more recently. And I do want to give this guy some credit for two reasons. One, that there are men who are really here on this earth to condemn this kind of behavior. So it's not women are having to come forward. And I totally agree with you. It takes a lot of courage But there are men who are also interested and willing to go out on a limb to take down people who have been taking advantage of our confidence, our trust. One would hope that in this day and age that these things would come to light more quickly, that there would be more severe consequences, and that we would be living in a world that has more equality, that takes women's stories more seriously. We clearly have a long way to go. We have made progress, hallelujah, but as a story like this shows, there's still a lot more that we can do and that we must do. You and I believe in a world in which everyone's bringing the best of themselves to their families, to their work, to the community, And part of that work is finding these stories, exposing them, and making sure that people pay the price. Bada bing, don't mean that to be a pun on Dan Price. (laughs) So we can really keep progress moving forward and hopefully build momentum and accelerate to the kind of world that we really all want to be a part of. Yeah, that's a great point and said eloquently as usual. And I think part of the work that you and I want to do, I know certainly for me, is I want to help women share their stories. I want to support women who share their stories. Our work is looking at the workplace. And the part of our work too is, I'll put it this way. I haven't thought this through, so this might sound clunky, but follower behavior is really important. We focus a ton on leadership and leaders. Followers give those people the power. So the leadership 
is a privilege and a responsibility. And character and the pattern of behavior really matters. And so when we are in a situation of tolerating or turning a blind eye, as this guy in the tweet suggested, to certain very problematic behaviors in order to promote something else, this is not a path forward. Who we put into leadership, whether it's with our votes, whether it's who we promote through an organization, who we follow, all of that, that follower behavior is really important. And this is where we as individuals have to take a responsibility and to say, again, we're going to hold people accountable. And I really hope that there becomes more and more of a mechanism for women to feel supported and to find each other and for us to help elevate those stories. Because you and I have stories. I've shared my stories. I've shared my three more significant hashtag me too moments throughout my career. I've shared them in various podcasts and not because I'm harboring resentment or I'm looking for any sort of retribution. I'm well beyond that. The reason why I share them is because I know that there's so many women out there who are going to say, yeah, similarly. And there's power in coming together in that way and knowing that we're not alone. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, yes and no. I think for this podcast episode, (laughs) yes, I know that you and I over time will have many more conversations about this. And by the way, again, to our listeners, if this is something that you want to talk about, if you'd like us to dig into further, if you have a story you'd like to share, we would love to hear from you. Part of being able to move things forward is to understand where we've come from and what we've had to endure and what we've survived, because all of us are holding each other as we move forward. We're all holding hands to cross the street. And so please reach out to us. You can find us on social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, our website, workrevolutionpodcast.com. We welcome your feedback, your comments, anything you'd like to share with us. We are here to listen and we're here to start a work revolution. So thank you to everyone. And thanks, Deborah. It was a great conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you to our listeners. Thanks for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and give us a review. And follow the Work Revolution podcast on Instagram for more great content and updates about our work. In addition to two full episodes a month, we have a monthly Ask Us Anything, where we answer your questions about leadership, career maneuvering, and whatever workplace challenges you're facing. Submit your questions to our website at workrevolutionpodcast.com where you'll find all our episodes as well as learn more about who we are. Thanks to Bernie at Blue Eye Music for our music theme and to the team at Poditize for production support. Until next time.